Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be here again. We do again thank you for your prayers for us as a family, for your prayers for Allison. Uh, we've noticed a little bit of improvement over the last couple weeks in her vision. She still has vision mostly out of just the uh, edge of her right eye, but uh, two Thursdays ago, she started to see letters. Uh, we were waiting at the physiotherapy office to open, and uh, she was kind of bored, and so she's walking around like so, and we'll pretend this is the door, and she got this close to the door, and she read business hours. And uh, so that got us kind of excited, and in the evening, she was telling Leo the story, and so Leo was in the kitchen, and she quickly grabbed a box of cereal off the top of the fridge and said, what does this say? And she could see corn flakes, and, and we could tell she was reading it because she could have said shreddies or she could have said Fruit Loops. Well, she wouldn't have said Fruit Loops because that wouldn't have been in our house, but uh, she didn't say granola or something like that. She read corn flakes, and so... Uh, when her vision teacher came along on Saturday, she switched the lesson up and uh, instead of learning Braille, she was showing us how to change the computer screen to have a black background with bright yellow letters on it and was getting her to go through short words and she was quite excited too. So there's been a little bit of improvement in her eyesight when the doctors in the beginning said she would probably just see black for the rest of her life. She's now starting to see letters out of the edge of her, the periphery of her eye. And so we keep on praying, and we do thank you for your prayers for us as a family and for her in particular. The Lord still opens lots of doors. Uh, it was funny, on our trip down, even though she's blind, in my mind, I've never really considered her handicapped. Uh, and we're coming through the airport, and we're in this long line at security, and this lady says, no, no, you can't be in this line. I'm going, oh, no, we've been in this line like 15 minutes already, and you're going to put us at the back? And she says, you have to go through that door. That's for the handicapped people. And that, you know, it never occurred to me that Allison was handicapped, even though she's blind. Uh, and so we butted right to the front of the line, and I thought that was quite nice. And... <laughs> and uh, and then at customs and immigration, the same thing happened. No, 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 you can't come through here. You have to go that way. And uh, We got right to the front of the line again. And Hopefully that happens tomorrow morning on our way back. <laughs> so we, we do uh, consider the Lord has been very gracious to us. And we do thank you for your prayers. Let's open our Bibles this morning. We'll start in Exodus chapter 3. Now I'm going to put on a pair of glasses. I hope nobody confuses me for Sam. He seemed to draw out a distinction yesterday that he had glasses and Josh didn't wear glasses. So if I put on glasses, I hope you don't think I'm him. Oh, Steve, sorry, sorry. I am happily married. And he is happily single, apparently, from his talk yesterday. 
Exodus chapter 3. We did enjoy our time yesterday. We thank the Chuns and McKays for their hospitality to us yesterday. <coughs> Moses was getting some announcements from God. And he's saying, Moses, you're supposed to do this. And Moses was asking, well, you know, if I'm supposed to do this, who, who shall I say sent me? And verse 14 says, And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me to you. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word. We're going to turn to John chapter 10 also. In this world in which we live, and, and if we're going to worship something or someone, how do you decide how you worship? I'm just going to make up a kind of God here. Let's suppose your God happens to like 200 pounds of spaghetti factory pasta. It's free and available next door after the meeting. Uh, come and collect it or Bob's going to be eating pasta till he starts growing pasta and meatballs off of himself. And if he likes that, but you keep offering flowers, how do you decide how to worship a God that you don't know? Paul would be talking to the, the Greeks in, in Athens and say, I saw that you had a statue to the unknown God. How do you worship an unknown God? How do you know what that God prefers and what that God dislikes? If he likes spaghetti and meatballs and you keep bringing him flowers, or maybe God's a girl and prefers flowers over spaghetti and meatballs. Or maybe God prefers puppies and not cats or vice versa. How do you decide that? Because we live in a world, beloved, that says you do what you want to do. You do what's right in your own eyes. You worship what you like to worship. You do the things you like to do. It doesn't, there is no truth. There is no not standard to base things on, you just go ahead and do what you want. So if you like to worship American idols, you will worship American idols. If you like to worship uh, football stars, you worship football stars. If you like to worship actors and actresses or singers or songwriters or particular hobbies that you may have and hobby horses that you have, you just worship that sort of thing. How do you decide? And God would say to us here, I am that I am. He doesn't say, I am, well, Ricky, uh, who'd you like me to be? Am I like uh, Tony Hawk, the skateboard guy? Because Ricky likes to skateboard. And, uh, and maybe that's how God is. And Ricky can decide that skateboarding is a good thing. Or maybe it's, Greg Luganus, and there's Scotty who likes to dive, and, and that's the, what you should order. Now, how do you decide between Greg Luganus and Tony Hawk? Well, Greg Luganus won a gold medal, and Tony Hawk didn't. Uh, how do you decide? 
And God says, you don't have to decide. I am that I am. I am the self-existent one. And if you want to worship me, this is how you do it. I'm not who you want me to be. I'm who I am. Tell them that I am sent you to tell this message and declare who I am. Don't declare who you think I am. Don't declare who you'd like me to be. Don't declare what you dream of in the nighttime or what you think about when you're all alone. I am that I am, says God. And that's something to keep in the forefront of our minds at all times. In our living, in our waking, in our sleeping, we need to keep aware that God is God. And we can't change who God is. And we don't adjust God to who we are, but we adjust ourselves to who God is. We're not making up His Word. His Word is making us and changing us and transforming us into the image of His beloved Son. We don't have that choice to decide who God is. But we do have the choice to accept Him as He is and adjust our lives accordingly to who He is. He says that statement in Exodus chapter 3 sort of to to emphasize that fact that He is the self-existent One and nobody made Him. He's always existed. From eternity past, He's been there. Until eternity future, He will be there. And he's saying, this is who I am. And tell them that I am sent you. They can't change who I am. It's a declaration of deity. It's his declaration that he is God. I'll show you I'm God. If we were to read in Isaiah, it says, who else can tell the future, the end, Like it happened already. Who can make prophecy in other words? Who can do that and declare that something that's not yet happened like it happened yesterday? Well, from what I understand, there's only one group of people that can do that. And they don't do it legally, I suppose. But they're called the Procrastinators Club. I don't know if you've heard of them. They put out their predictions for 2016 on January 31st of 2016. They sort of delayed the whole year, and by the time 2016 was over, they they got their predictions of who would win the Stanley Cup, and who would win American Idol, and who would win the World Series, and what disasters would happen, and who would win elections, and they hold off, and you know, it's too much work. We'll wait till the end of the year, and the last possible minute we'll put in our predictions. And of course, they all come true. Why did they all come true? Because it's already actually happened. But God, in His greatness, in the infinite recesses of His thoughts and in His mind, He declares the future like it's already happened. Who else can do that? If you're going to declare the future, you know what? God, you've got to know what's going to happen. You've got to be what we call omniscient, all-knowing. You have to know the past, the present, the future. Omniscient. 
But if you're going to declare something, you know what? You have to have the strength to back it up. There's no sense today for the Los Angeles Dodgers to say, we're going to win all our games when they can only win every fifth game. When Mr. Kershaw goes out to, bat, to, to pitch. It's no good to say that... Uh, what else is a bad team that I can easily pick on? Uh, it's no good to say the San Diego Chargers are, are going to win the Super Bowl because it's, it's just not going to happen. It, you have to have the power, you have to have the strength, you have to have the ability to back up what you're going to say. If you're going to say the San Diego Chargers are going to win, then you look at their team and you go, well... Well, maybe their quarterback isn't too bad, and they got a tight end that's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame, but the rest of them, you know, no, we don't know who they are. They're no names. <laughs> we can't, they don't have the strength, they don't have the finesse, they don't have the power, they don't have the authority to back up that claim. So if you're going to make a prediction for the future, you not only have to be omniscient, all-knowing, but you have to be all-powerful. And if you're going to, you know, that doesn't do a whole lot of good unless you're everywhere at all times. Because say, you're going to say that there's going to be a seed of a woman. And she's going to have a son one day. And this son is going to crush the head of the serpent. And then the enemy comes. And let's say it was... It was around the time of Pharaoh that we're just reading in Exodus. And all the baby Hebrew boys had to be killed. What if you weren't there? What if you were at the time of Adam and Eve and there was Abel and there was Cain and and you weren't there. What if it was a couple thousand years later and you were in Jerusalem? Oh, sorry, you weren't in Jerusalem. You have to be everywhere all the time. Because you don't know when the attack is going to come. Because you're not omniscient. But beloved, just by the prophecy in the Bible, it changes everything and it shows that God is God, that He is I am that I am because He knows everything. He makes prophecy. He tells us what wisdom is. He tells us the rules for life. He's all-powerful and He does what He says He's going to do. And He's everywhere all the time to be able to back up that He can do what He wants to do. And that, by definition, is who God is. I am that I am. That's why, beloved, we adjust our lives to Him. We don't adjust God to us. It's a very serious thing. Someone once said, you know, when a Christian sins, he's practically an atheist. When a Christian sins, he's practically an atheist. Why? Because he doesn't think God's watching. He doesn't think that Christ 
really went through all that pain, that he was that man of sorrows on Calvary's cross. And he's forgetting those things. So he may not be an atheist, but in that moment of sin, he's practically, for all practical purposes, an atheist. And he's forgotten who God is. And that's why, beloved, keeping it in mind that God is I am who I am is very important. Then we come to the New Testament and we see Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies that God promised beforehand. Whether it's his virgin birth or the way he would live or the way he would die, things he would say, (coughs) that he would heal that he would give sight to the blind, that the deaf would hear, that the mute and dumb would speak, that the lame would leap. He declared all that. Isaiah 35 tells us things that only the Messiah would do. And there's Jesus doing them. And so we see him fulfilling these prophecies that were made hundreds of years earlier. And not only do we see him doing that, but he declares himself to be God himself. Now, I know some people deny that Jesus ever declared himself to be God. But in the book of John, seven times Jesus makes a statement. And he says, I am, and then he uses a metaphor. A descriptive word that describes this particular characteristic of God and how he does that. He also makes seven other statements using the words I am and just says I am. For example, they're accusing him of, what, are you older than Abraham? Are you more important than Abraham, our father? And Jesus says, you know what? Before Abraham was, He doesn't say, I was. He says, I am. And he's declaring himself to be gone. Well, here in John chapter 10, we have two of these statements where Jesus himself declares that he is the I am of the Old Testament. The one who is the self-existent one that we adjust our lives to. One is the door and one is the shepherd. They're both the same, actually, as if we were to study it. And I hope I can explain it a little, but we'll just start in verse 1. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a as a thief and a robber. But he that enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by his name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spoke Jesus to them, But they understood not what things they were which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Verily, verily, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. 
by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not, but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Then he goes and uses the, the example of a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word to us this morning. We have this example of Jesus using the example of a shepherd. He uses this everyday item, as he often did in the Scriptures, so that we could understand things. Isn't that one of the things that drives you nuts about religion? Is they keep using words that nobody else uses or understands. Sometimes, you know, even Christians, when we're witnessing, we use words that if we think about it, nobody else would ever use. Some people have noted that I often use the word beloved. You say, why do you use that word? Well, because that means that they're loved. But some preachers use the word brother, even though not everybody's a brother. And they'll say, brothers this, brothers that, brothers this, brothers that. And unless you're born again, unless your Father in heaven is your Father which is in heaven... You won't understand what the word brother or justification or righteousness. What do people who aren't religious know about the words justification and righteousness or rapture, second coming? And sometimes, beloved, when Christians are witnessing to other people, they start using this foreign language that only Bible students really know. But Jesus never used words that people didn't know. Did you know that? Did you notice that when he's ever he's talking, he always uses everyday example that 99.9% .9 of the people would understand. The only ones that wouldn't understand are the ones that couldn't hear. And he always used everyday examples. And he's saying that he's the sh a shepherd. And then so people's minds would start thinking about a shepherd. And then he says, I'm the door. And so while their minds are thinking about shepherds, and then they start thinking about a door, and what kind of door is a shepherd? Well, the door for the shepherd is, they would understand that there were two separate stories being told. One was the sheepfold where the shepherd would come in for the evening. And the, the various shepherds would come in, and they'd put their sheep in a fold for the night, and, and somebody would be there watching for them. And only thieves would come over the wall at the nighttime. But then he uses the example of in the daytime, they'd go out to the fields and they'd be out in the fields. And, you know, sometimes after you eat lunch, you get, you're kind of sleepy, don't you? Or maybe you don't. Maybe you're one of those people that just go, go, go. All hold. I sometimes get sleepy in the afternoon and a little bit after lunch when my temperature goes up because my glucagon's going up inside my body. Uh, you know, it'd be a good time for a nap. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but probably this afternoon some of you are going to take a nap. It was a busy day yesterday. It's still a busy day today. And... Uh, Sometimes shepherds needed, you know, you're just sitting there watching sheep all day. It's not like you're doing something super exciting. You know, if a bear came along, then your blood would be, pressure would be up and your heart would be thumping. But on a regular day, you know, you're just sort of sitting there watching sheep. 
how exciting is that? That's like watching cement dry and paint dry and just watching these sheep go along and maybe you needed a nap in the afternoon. So you'd put them in a pen and you'd lay in the gate of the pen and you'd be laying there and if any sheep ever tried to get over top of you, you'd feel it. It's sort of like sometimes we stay at somebody's house and the bed's in the corner against the wall and I always get the wall in, but sometimes in the night you have to get up to get a drink or something. And then it's my duty to try to get over top of Leo without waking her up. You know man, how many times that's happened? Zero. I wake her up every time. I try to. You know, get that leg over and the hand over. Now where's the side of this bed? And then she's falling out of the bed because I put all my weight on the edge of the bed and she starts rolling out. And it just doesn't work. I can't get over her without waking her up. And the sheep can't get over the shepherd as he's the door laying there asleep. You know, you've got that, I was going to say fur, wool hanging down to the ground and, and their legs aren't very long and they probably don't care. They're not very smart anyway. They probably smack him with their hooves as they're going out and they just can't get in. And that's what the example he's using is he's the door. Now sometimes people will use the, they say, you know this, all religions are the same. They, they, then they use the word fundamentally all religions are the same. And superficially there are differences. And you know, they actually got that completely 100% backwards. Most religious are superficially the same and fundamentally different. Most religions would say, you know, killing's not a good thing. Stealing's not a good thing. Lying, that's not a good thing. That's, that's all superficial. But if we look at the basics of religion, what does the basics say? Well, we'll take atheism. Where did we come from? Well, there was this big bang. Nobody knows where the energy came from. Uh, nobody, it was just an accident and some way, somehow, a couple of cells got together and they became mud and that mud started to do something and out came a fish, and that fish decided he would grow legs out of his fins, and then he started walking on land because he was a salamander, and the salamander became a lizard, and the lizard became a monkey, and the monkey became you. I think it's Frank Peretti who would say, from, the, from goo to you by way of the zoo. That's what atheism thinks. What if you were a Hindu? It's a billion Hindus in the world. An unknown force made you, and remade you, and remade you, and remade you. But it's an impersonal, unknowable force. Karma, Dharma, that's what they would say. What if you were following the Bible? It would say a personal creator made you personally. As such a creative creator that he put, can put seven billion people on the face of the earth. And other than Steve and Sam, everybody can tell everybody else apart except for them two. Uh, but everybody else in 100 square centimeters in the middle of their face, he made seven billion people different. That's how imaginative God is. That's how personal he is. 
We just gave three religions. Are they the same fundamentally? What's wrong with the world? Atheist says, just bad luck. Why does cancer happen? Just bad luck. Why do tsunamis happen? Bad luck. Why do all those kids die? Bad luck. <laughs> what if you're a Hindu? You know, you did something wrong in a previous life. You know, you're a girl because you must have done something wrong. <laughs> That's why you're a girl and not a boy. You, you, it's your bad karma. You must have done something wrong. That's why you're a handicap right now. You did something wrong in a previous life. You can't ever know what you did wrong. <laughs> but you must have done something wrong. What does biblical Christianity say what's wrong with the world? Sin. Man's rebellion against a knowable God who's made His will known to us. Are those the same? What's the, what's the hope? Atheism says, well, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. That's, that's all you got, man. What's, what do you say to a person dying of cancer? What do you say to someone who's on their deathbed? What do you say to someone who's being abused? What do you, what do you just your own tough luck. It's the way the cookie crumbles. You know, you open the box of cookies and there's some of them are in good shape and some of them are crumbly at the bottom. You just happen to be the crumbly ones at the bottom. Not much hope to offer, is it? What does a Hindu offer? Well, you just try to do your best and hope that you don't do something so bad that you come back as a dog or a woman or bug or something like that. What does Christianity offer? Jesus here says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. We've examined the fundamentals of three religions very quickly. Superficially, eh, don't lie. Don't kill. Don't steal. That's all superficial stuff. But when we look at the fundamentals, they're completely different. And Jesus, and the difference between religion and biblical Christianity is religion says, follow your teacher. Do the best you can following your teaching. But when all is said and done, unless you're an atheist, I suppose, there is no exam for the atheist at the end of their lives. But religion would say, you know, you just sort of, Go through life and you follow the teachings. You learn the teachings as best you can. And at the end, there's an assessment. And at this assessment, the final exam of your life, you're going to get, you know, your teacher can't go in and write the exam with you and for, or for you. You're on your own. And on the basis of that examination, you're either going to stand or fall. And then we'll see how you do. If you stand, then I'll accept you. If you fall, I won't accept you. But Christianity starts completely differently and it says, I, ex I want to accept you. It's sort of like a marriage. We had a wedding yesterday and, and we enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to change the story a bit. It's not true what I'm going to say. But let's imagine that there was Josh and there was Rachel and 
Jonathan, huh, doesn't look too bad. It's quite nice. And he approached Rachel, and he had a cookbook in his hand. And here, Rachel, here's a cookbook. Oh, and I have this other one on being a good wife. Oh, and there's this book on child rearing. And I want you to study these books very carefully. Study their teachings. Thou shalt use two cups of fine white flour. Thou shalt use half a teaspoon of salt. Thou shalt use two teaspoons of yeast. Thou shalt use three cups of lukewarm water. Mix it all together and... Well, it's sort of a list of do's and don'ts for cooking, isn't it? And you shall do this, and you mix it all together, and you knead it, you let it rise, and when it rises, you punch it down and let it rise again, and then you put it in the oven at 300 degrees, and when it's golden brown on top, and based on how you do it, you know, in maybe 30 or 40 years of following this cookbook, and depending on how much you burned and how much you didn't burn, because you are a religious cook and everything's sometimes a burnt sacrifice, you know. And, and I'll decide whether or not I accept you. Now, Bob wouldn't accept that sort of agreement, and I don't think his daughter would either. But that's how religion is, isn't it? You try and you follow the teachings for as best as you can, for as long as you can, and at the end, they decide if you're going to be accepted or not. But beloved, Christianity starts with a premise that says, I love you. Do you love me? We love him because he first loved us, the Bible tells us. He gave His only begotten Son to be a propitiation to pay the price for our sin. And it starts with the premise that we're accepted. And because we're accepted, we do our very best for the one we love. I am His and He is mine. We were just singing. It's not that we do it to gain points or merit with God. We do it because we love God. Because we're accepted already. Because we have all those precious promises. Sickness and health. Richer, poorer. Better, worse. You know, God's with us all those times too, you know. That's a wonderful thing about God. It's just that's what we were hearing from Justin yesterday. It was just like a God in us. <laughs> and he accepts us. Paul would write that we are accepted in the beloved one. Isn't that a great difference? And, and that's the difference between religion of working, 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 making this bread the right way and making this soup the right way. And what happens when you get, this happens in Mexico. You don't make it like my mama makes it. You fail. Apparently it happened in Jesus' time that they could burn the eggs or cook the eggs wrong and they, that was justifiable means for a divorce. You know, sometimes I make my own eggs wrong. That's pretty bad when you do it wrong yourself. 
I guess that's one reason you shouldn't worship yourself because you know all your limitations and errors that you've ever made. But do you see the difference? And Jesus is saying, here, I am the door. It's not a bunch of rules to follow. He's saying the door is not initiation process. It's not belonging to an organization. It's not having to do these things to be able to get in. He's saying that I am the door. I'm the entrance. I'm a person. I'm not a bunch of rules. I'm not a bunch of regulations. I am a person. And he says, I am the door. Later on, he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Sort of saying the same thing, isn't he? You want to, you want to get to see the Father? It's through me. I'm the door. I'm the one that makes this relationship possible. And I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And beloved, sometimes we very sadly do a dishonor of what eternal life is. I understand eternal life does mean time. But it's so much more than time. John 17 and verse 3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know You, Father. And they also know the One that You have sent Me. Jesus Himself says, this is eternal life, that they know the Father and they know the Son. It makes a big difference that eternal life is something knowable here on earth, beloved. It's not something that when you die, you enter eternal life. When you die physically. It's when you die spiritually to yourself that you start eternal life. When you see, there's nothing I can do. I am a sinner condemned before God. But I can be accepted in the Beloved. His Son, in whom He is well pleased. I can be accepted in Him and start my relationship with God and enjoy it here on earth so that when it's for better or for worse, whenever it's for sickness and in health, whenever it's for richer or poorer, you go through that because even there, your hand holds me. Religion doesn't hold your hand, beloved. But God does. Isn't that a great thing to know about God? That He's God? And you don't have to make things up to know Him? I have some friends, I don't know if I call them friends, people that I know, you know, they make things up about God. There's this gal. She said, God did a miracle. Ooh, what was it? Well, you see, I had all these cavities. And God put gold fillings in my teeth. Ooh, that's what I said. <laughs> I said, well, that's very interesting. How did that happen? Well, I went to bed one night, and I woke up in the morning, and all my teeth were filled with gold. Well, that's a very interesting thing. Um, now, if God healed you of cancer, what, where would the cancer be? Completely gone. That's right. 
your body would be just like it was as if it had no cancer. There'd be no evidence of the cancer to be found anywhere. But you have all sorts of evidence that you had cavities in your teeth. Wouldn't it make sense if God's the creator that he could make calcium and make your teeth just like teeth? With no evidence of that sickness ever being there? Because cavities are a sickness. It's an infection caused by bacteria and acids working in on your, getting past your enamel and getting into your tooth and decaying it and rotting it out. That's what a cavity is. And if God was going to heal your cancer and make it like cancer was never there, and wouldn't it make sense that he made your teeth? And she could only bow her head in shame because she was making things up. To be sensational. She knew that a dentist did it. Would have been much better. You know, the Lord supplied that he could fix my teeth. Because that's who God is. The one who holds your hand even when you're in all those problems. You don't have to make stories up about God. Because He's God. He can defend Himself. He's God. We don't have to make Him how we like Him. He's God. He is the great I Am. And He wants us to know Him. And He wants us to know His Son. Who here is proclaiming that He is God in the flesh. I am the door. He would say earlier that He is the light of the world. He would say that He is the bread of life. He would go on and say that He is the resurrection and the life. He would also say that He is the true vine. All these different things, and for a nice study, if you went through them, you would see how they show how each one of those seven instances where he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd that gives his life for the flock. You go through those and you see how they show off who God is. And how he, if he's making those claims, he's claiming to be God if he's saying the truth. Beloved, there's a God to know. And Jesus is saying that he is the very door. He's not like religion. He's not an initiation process to be accepted sometime in the future. You will be accepted in the beloved. The door is a person to know God. And we commend him to your thoughts this morning. If you're here and, and you, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, we invite you to have a talk with me or some others that are here this morning we'd love to talk to you if you're here this morning and and you made that profession of faith once but you're really not figuring out this life isn't really abundant really seems to be a drag and a hard thing to go we'd like to talk to you too because We'd like to get you in a better relationship with God and learn how to know Him better. And maybe you're here and you're, you're just thrilled with God and you're walking with Him. I encourage you to take a look at the other six I Am statements and discover what you can discover about God through Jesus Christ. We commend Him into your hands 
and into your thinking this morning. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we don't have to guess about who you are. We don't have to draw straws. We don't have to roll dice. We don't have to make an educated guess. Your word says, I am that I am. And then you make all sorts of prophecies that only God could make. And those prophecies came true. And Father, we thank you that you are God and there is none else. And Father, some way, somehow, that we don't understand, the one who was in the beginning, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that second person of the Holy Trinity, your Son, became a man. And he declared himself to be equal with God, to be God incarnate. And he made these seven statements. And Father, we just looked at one briefly this morning, that he is the door. He's the one that makes sure who comes in and who goes out. Talks about safety for us. Talks about life and life abundantly. And Father, our prayer this morning is that we would know the one who gives life, who gives life abundantly. Our prayer is that we would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we commend these thoughts to your hand. We think of the memorial this afternoon and we pray that you would continue to comfort the McKay family. It's a different weekend for them. And the missing of a father, of a grandfather, of a, of a loved one is a stressful, hurting time. And our prayer is that the God of all comfort, that you would show yourself as the God of all comfort to them. And it's odd because George's granddaughter got married yesterday. A time of a, a new family starting and a, a new beginning. And our prayer is for Josh and Rachel that you would order their footsteps all the days of their lives. And they would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ too. And so we commend these meetings this afternoon and yesterday's and, and this evening when Brother Roy comes that you would bless it, we pray. Help us to dwell and delight ourselves in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.